Welcome to Decades From Home, a podcast about the weird and wonderful side of living in Germany. And all without saying, Schmeckt der Spargel auch nach Holz, er macht den deutschen Bauer stolz. I'm Nick Houghton of 40percentgerman.com and I'm joined by my co-host, Simon. He loves a bloody good sit-down, Maddox. So, Simon... What's this about you sitting down? Yeah, appa- apparently it's uh, it's the it's the new smoking. Sitting down and being comfortable is going to kill us all. Bad news if you're sitting down and listening to us right now. Philip Lahm's going to get you. Shit, I'm sitting down. Yeah, we're going to yeah. talk about Philip Lahm's opinions on sitting down <laughs> later in the show. But uh, before we get to the deadliness of putting your ass on comfortable cushion, uh, I want to talk about my Bavarian Sunday. Yeah. I had a very Bavarian Sunday. It's been the first sort of week of really super decent weather. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I took my sweaty forehead and um, ill-advised clothing choices, i.e. <laughs> jeans. Everyone else seems to be in shorts, but I can't wear shorts. You're in your thick winter jeans. Yeah, the wet summerish jeans, if you can imagine such a thing. And I took myself off to basically the middle of nowhere to this wild little um I guess a hamlet i suppose all that was around was a bauerhof a wirtschaft restaurant mini golf course and the woods and we went for a nice walk in the woods with the kids and then parents uh, decanted themselves into the uh, wirtschaft where we had maybe more beers than you should do when you're in charge of children but mm-hmm. it was only me and uh, my uh, co co father i guess the other father who was with us, right? <laughs> and, um, yeah, we just, oh, it was just lovely. We were sitting in the sun, drinking beer, um, enjoying the weather. Lots of people in Augsburg, football trickles. And there was just, I saw some lederhosen. There was a wedding. It was all very, yeah, it was very nice. Very sedate, but very lovely. Sounds very picturesque. Uh, schnitzel. Oh, Yeah, I mean, first sch- schnitzel of the year. It was pretty sweet. Yeah, mark that in your calendars. It's time. Schnitzel time too right it's always time for schnitzel but yeah i just felt i felt and we've talked about this i think in previous shows this sort of ending sort of tail end of pandemic people going about their business again it felt yeah like things are things are getting better almost i don't know if they are i'll be honest i haven't looked at the stats on on covid in in many many weeks but uh, it just felt comfortable it felt nice and uh, incredibly Bavarian. So, yeah, that was what I was up to this weekend. I mean, yeah, it sounds really nice. And as you say, it's, it's been fantastic weather. It's really, it's been lovely. Pollen, though. <laughs> quickly mention the pollen. From Twitter, I know it's the same in Berlin. Uh, a lot of people in Berlin talking about this. So I guess it's a national problem, but fuck me. Yeah. Like, the car wash companies are just sitting there knowing they're going to make millions. Because once it's over, like, every car is just draped in yellow pollen it's it's disgraceful and so yeah i'm looking forward to some rain we've had none in Nuremberg so far oh we've had a bit here we've had a bit here yeah. but we've had the same thing and i've never i never saw that in the uk I, I mean maybe it's the northeast of england maybe you had it in the south i don't know but i've never seen it the pollen hit so early my my wife's really sensitive to hay fever and she mm. her hay fever kicked in end of march oh and obviously she just assumed she was coming down with covid because she couldn't breathe and <laughs> She was like, it was all these issues. And then it was, oh, yeah, it just turned out it was allergies. And then our daughter was was sneezing and coughing. And we're like, oh, God, what's happening? And again, she's obviously got a bit of hay fever. I don't get it that much. But the wind, the windows on the top floor of my house were all covered in yellow. Yeah. When you go to get the car, you have to wash the windows. And there's just yellow streaks. When it rains, you can see, like, 
the puddles of this like yellow mm. gunk essentially sitting on top of it. And I've never seen anywhere else where the pollen's that like noticeable. It's that thick, you know, it's everywhere. Well, I did hear via my wife that the consensus might be that this is sort of connected to climate change mm-hmm. and that all the grasses and flowers and everything is just like panicking because of the change in the environment and it's therefore dumping loads and loads of pollen to sort of spread as intensely as possible so apparently we're going to have a really like heavy bloom year like everything's going to be flowers mm-hmm. and everything's going to blossom and bloom and it's going to be lovely for that fact but it does mean it's basically like a death scream from a lot of greenery That's freaking out man. yeah it is it is it is pretty scary what is it is it is that film with mark Wahlberg where the trees eject pollen that drives everyone nuts I forgot what the film's called. It's a terrible, it's a terrible movie. Like that, yeah, I, I'm not a huge fan of Mark Wahlberg joints uh, as far as they go, but uh, I've not seen that one. <laughs> yeah, I'm just looking looking it up now. Uh, Killer Trees, I think, would be the good Google. <laughs> Killer Trees. Sounds like a really bad Wu-Tang knockoff. Yeah, The Happening, as it's called. It's a thriller. Uh-huh. It's got Zoe Deschanel in it as well. Okay. It rolls around an explicable natural disaster causing mass suicides and spoiling this film from 2008. I, I just don't care that much if you care that much about mark Wahlberg films then keep it to yourself oh it's an m night Shyamalan. of course it is <laughs> it's one of it's in that phase where he he'd finished doing sixth sense and he then he made like a string of awful movies um some really stinking output it's got um mark Wahlberg acting which is always entertaining <laughs> seeing mark Wahlberg actually acting but yeah so mate uh, luckily it's not that but it does seem i don't know it does feel like we're on borrowed time a little bit, especially when it gets really muggy and it's hot and it's in a weird time for it to be as hot as it is. And it feels mm. like the weather's sort of shifting. It was very sort of mild. We've had quite stormy weather as well, which seems like that's got something to do with it too. Yeah, it's tipping for 30 degrees in a couple of days and it does feel early for 30 degrees. Yeah, 29 is predicted on Friday, which is great for your wife's birthday, but freaking yeah, horrendous for the likes of you and me. Yeah. Well, there's always the basement to sleep in. <laughs> it gets too hot upstairs. Uh, it's not a bad idea. It's really not a bad idea. <laughs> <laughs> to the bunker. <laughs> so last weekend we had the end of season games to decide who was going to be champion and who was going to get promoted from the Zweite Bundesliga which of course we've been covering uh, over the last few weeks fantastically Schalke managed to seal their spot as champions of the Zweite Bundesliga and it was a pretty fantastic goal to to start off proceedings 69 meter smash and from inside his own half for, for the uh, Schalke player. And then Tedesco, the hero of the season, got his 30th goal to guarantee championships. So pretty exciting. And of course, in the other big game, Werder Bremen, who were also, of course, a historic titan, uh, a regular of the first league, are now back as well, uh, thanks to their win. But the reason I, I thought it'd be interesting to talk about this is in both games, what we saw afterwards was hundreds and hundreds of people, basically the whole stadium, getting onto the pitch and and storming the pitch and this is something that i kind of it's quite it's quite scary to see obviously it's party mood everyone's having a good time destroying the pitch of the club they love or, or the host 
pitch. But yeah, I was watching the, the Schalke Nuremberg on TV and it all looked very friendly. It looked like everyone was having a good time. And of course, the two sets of fans are friendly with each other. And so there was no fighting, there was no nastiness. But unfortunately, the same can't be said quite for what happened to Werder Bremen because at the end of the storming of the pitch, 20 people actually ended up in hospital after the Platch storm. It just made me think, like, when was the last time I saw this happen in the UK? In the Premier League, do you remember the last time you saw hundreds of fans get on the pitch? I think actually it was a game in the second division. What in the second division? I sound like I've come from the 1990s to talk about football. <laughs> it was uh, League Two, I believe. League Two was quite had quite an exciting end to the season because you had a situation where I think it was Bristol Rovers. In order for them, for Bristol Rovers to get promoted, they had to overturn a quite a large deficit. I think it was something like seven goals they had to turn over. So it basically mm-hmm. meant they had to win 7-0. And I felt I felt a little bit sad for the team they were competing against because um, it was I think it was Northampton Town. And Northampton had won their match 3-1 despite having a man sent off. And then uh, Bristol Rovers were winning 2-0 at half time and they ended the game by winning 7-0. Um, weirdly enough... Um, a Newcastle Loney player scored the winning goal. Okay, yeah, and uh, it was yeah. There was a there was a pitch invasion after the seventh goal, and then there was a pitch invasion on the final whistle, and that was the the first time I'd seen a pitch invasion in, in a good while because you really don't see it in the Premier League at all. Is I mean, obviously these are things that did happen for sure, but it's really been kind mm. of stamped out to a certain degree. The last one that's recorded in in this article here was actually at uh, at Tottenham uh, Tottenham against Manchester United oh, wow. the 14th of May 2017 uh, when Tottenham fans invaded the pitch after beating United 2-1 and it was the final game at White Hart Lane before we moved to a new stadium where we were in a temporary stadium at Wembley uh, until we moved into our brand spanking new one. Right, so it's like a celebration of leaving. Exactly. It wasn't a, a normal game, so to speak. So the one before then that's mentioned uh, is Man City against West Ham 2014 when City won the Premier League. So yeah, again, not a standard thing. So it's kind of shocking for me to see it happen and obviously to, to see that 20 people were injured and some of them have ended up in hospital. It's, it's really, really bad. And security, from what we saw in the Switer Bundesliga, didn't really try and prevent much. Mm-hmm. Obviously, a lot of these people are being paid next to minimum wage and it's really not worth their hassle in, in getting in a scrap with hundreds of feisty football fans. Obviously, the situation in terms of salary and job security is the same in the UK. It might even be a little bit worse uh, for the security staff, but they're much more militant about it. And of course, there are rules um, that are enforced, and the result primarily is financial fines. And so if you do get onto a football pitch, you will be fined. You're going to be banned from the stadium or stadiums across the country. You can go to jail for posing a security threat to the players and other spectators. And the club itself that you belong to will be fined as well. If you're a season ticket holder, you're losing your season ticket and get banned from having one in the future. And you can also be charged by the police uh, with criminal or trespassing charges. So, I mean, doing it in the UK, especially in the Premier League, is a recipe to ruin your life. Oh, you'll get, definitely get banned from the stadium if you enter the pitch at any point. 
they'll they'll, no. they'll come at you. But it's it's something I sent you a video last week of the final home game for Schalke, and they had a pitch invasion, and even they and they did it at the Werder Bremen game. The screen in the, the they have that big television screen at, at, in the the Schalke st- uh, stadium hanging in the middle of yeah. the roof, yeah, like at a basketball game or something. And and it had a big warning saying don't run on the pitch. They had the same thing for the Werder game. Doesn't seem to change anything. You've had it as you mentioned at the the Nuremberg Schalke game it's it's really really common and it was actually like when I watched the video because it was a guy in the stadium and he they just wandered to the corner and just walked onto the pitch yeah that was essentially what happened there was no one really stopping them and my question though is did, did were the fans injured like because they just ran on the pitch or were they injured because there was fighting between them and the the Regensburg fans I mean the the source I have here which is from Sport Buzzer de doesn't outline how these accidents have occurred it doesn't mention fighting i don't think that was it. i think people probably just got like a little bit of trampled people pushing their way mm. to try and get onto the pitch obviously there aren't smooth walkways going onto the pitch so i think it, mm. it could end up in a pile up quite quickly also the germans don't like to queue so <laughs> exactly if it's a larger version of the queue at lidl then you're gonna have a lot of people elbowing and I mean, the end of the article does say something quite telling where it says, just at the end, it says, according to the police, however, there were more physical altercations around the the celebrations after the game. So Mm. because it's something that I think about a lot is England fans rightly have a horrible reputation. Although we saw it at the the final of the of Euro 2020, where England was literally at its worst, where there's people lighting flares and sticking them up their asses and like sort of running into the gates and kicking in doors and trying to get in the game without a ticket and just being general assholes. Mm. So so that is one thing. But there is that strain of... I always feel that at football, when I got to watch German football, there's always that undercurrent of malice. Like, I, I do feel that uh, when I've been to certain matches, that there is, like, a, even among the fans who, like, within sort of Nuremberg or... Augsburg or, or wherever I've been, there is that undercurrent of like hooligan culture, mm-hmm. as if like hooligan culture was a positive. The ultras are one thing, but they do sort of talk about being hooligans as if yeah. it's a positive. And there is a lot of um, fighting outside of the matches that I've heard about, not necessarily in the Bundesliga, but certainly in the lower divisions. So there is like there is that element that exists, maybe not on the scale that you'll see in certain other leagues, but. I don't know. I'm not sure. I've never wanted to go on a football. Like, I don't want to go on the pitch. I don't know why you would. Why is that fun? Like, I don't really. Can you explain that? Why would you find that fun to go on the pitch after a game? You know? I mean, there was a good seven or eight minutes after the whistle blew where there were fans like grabbing onto players, taking selfies, like hundreds of selfies being snapped, putting their arm around the necks of these players. German football and German teams have a different relationship with fans than than a lot of Premier League clubs do. At the end of a game, the team will link arms, go to their set of fans and like do a back and forth, like thanking them, getting chance going. There is a responsibility, it feels like, in, in German football clubs to thank the fans and recognise them for travelling and supporting. And in the Premier League, you see that to a, a far lesser degree. Like A player might clap, uh, his group of fans, but you're not going to walk over as a unit and do dancing and and sing songs together. And so I think a lot of fans in Germany, especially 
representatives of ultras who do seem to have an in with these clubs like they are involved uh, in some clubs where ultras can go to training uh, and give feedback as the ultras like you represent us and we're allowed to tell you this and that's just insane <laughs> and like there are no hooligan groups in the Premier League being like we want to talk to the players and give them feedback from us as a supporter group it just doesn't work that way obviously that isn't the case in every club it is unusual but it does happen and um, so I think that there are fans who believe they have like a right to be involved in the celebration because it is their club that's being represented by these players and I think if you love your club as a, more than loving the players if it's about the history and who you are it's weird to see it from from an outside perspective and it wasn't just like young dudes who were like 18 19 20 there were men in their 60s as well like immediately on the pitch like doing selfies it's just it's a weird part of the football culture that i don't understand and it's only a matter of time before a player gets injured accidentally by a fan putting their arm around their neck and next thing you know they've got like a twisted vertebrae or something. It seems like it's waiting for a lawsuit to happen before someone changes anything. Oh yeah, I think I think you're right. I think inadvertently perhaps, but still it's, mm-hmm. it's a risk. We have had a, an increase, I think, in in those sorts of that sort of violence. Like I remember distinctly a few years ago, well was it last season, the season before last maybe, where Jack Grealish was attacked by a Birmingham City fan. He was punched in the face by a Birmingham City fan who ran on the pitch. And that happens every so often. There was mm. a, a fan. And we had, uh, I'm thinking more particularly about this season where Eintracht Frankfurt played West Ham in the semis of the, what is it now, the Europa League? I was going to say UEFA Cup. See, I'm still in the 90s, right? <laughs> and um, the exuberance of the Frankfurt fans, which are they're renowned for being very vocal. And I remember when Frankfurt played Arsenal in Champions League two, three seasons ago. Mm. And there was videos of the massed ranks of the Frankfurt fans just going through the city, but there was a lot of them and they were singing songs and it all seemed very good natured, but this was seemed a little bit different. There was a lot of, I think a lot of West Ham fans took umbrage at the fact that Frankfurt like watching their team score goals. And, it felt <laughs> like that. and there was a story as well coming out of the ARD who uh, were televising the game. Or was it? were they the radio commentators i can't remember and they were essentially attacked by west ham fans had their headsets knocked off their heads and you can hear the the audio it's it's quite shocking yeah so we do have those issues in, in other leagues certainly in england mm-hmm. but it just felt i don't know it feels like i'd be quite intimidated if i was a football player and the entire ranks of the stadium just emptied onto the pitch i'd yeah. be like get the hell out of here the photo itself seems to have like i think it's the regensburg players nonchalantly walking off the pitch but there's definitely in the center two stewards attempting to tackle a fan <laughs> who's run on the pitch so you can tell it's not it's not an ultimate positive for them but i don't know i mean you want it to be positive, but I do feel like the drinking and the celebration can spill over quite quickly in uh, something that's less savoury. Yeah. Uh, it doesn't take much. And for these players, they've spent a year mm. working super hard to get to in a position to go back to the Bundesliga. It could be the pinnacle of mm. their career, promotion to the Bundesliga. And they only have a few seconds to enjoy that feeling before they think, oh, I'm now surrounded by fans. Like, Corona's still happening and I've got this guy shit-faced 
with his arm around my neck telling me how amazing I am. Like that's got to feel quite nice, but at the same time, also pretty scary. Well, that's in this video that I was telling you about. It's from a, a a channel called Togden, I think it's called, and it's the video where you'll find it. He goes to the Schalke game. He goes to lots of games, meets a lot of different footballers. But he gets he goes on the pitch and he's he's like grabbing who's the I don't know who the goalkeeper for Schalke is, Fair and he does not look impressed about this ent- entire experience. It's it says a lot, really. You've you've got this idea of like. I mean, it's obviously good footage for him, but it just looked, he looked uncomfortable. He didn't look like he was having a good time. There's a few images of him sort of, again, exactly as you've described it, some really pissed bloke with his arm around his shoulder, but also around his Mm. neck, shouting in his ear, um, God knows what. And again, it's like, I wouldn't want that, even if it was from like a friend, I wouldn't Mm. want them manhandling me in that way, you know for a load of strangers all coming to us and they don't have any chill at all no. they're all sort of just grabby and and they want a piece of you essentially to the point that i think the Schalke fans were tearing up the pitch yeah. to take it home with them i don't know sort of like a religious fervor yeah, yeah. or something it definitely you know? seemed that way i mean after the final home game for Schalke, their twitter posted like these lumps of missing turf and the comment was, well, it grows back. Fine, that's their stadium. But they were doing it in Nuremberg as well, like stealing the grass from a, a, a fellow club's stadium. And the grass at a Zweite Bundesliga team, like that's not worth £50,000 or €50,000. It's not mm. worth, it's worth like a million quid, million euros plus. And it's like the baby of a whole team of people that work to maintain that pitch across mm. the season. It's, it's totally disrespectful. But unfortunately, that's sort of the essence of this. I don't know if you saw this as well on Twitter. There was uh, a trained conductor who, for the first time, had to be the conductor on a football train. And he posted images of what the fans had done to the train. And it was just disgraceful, like total carnage, things broken in the most unnecessary way, just wanton destruction for no purpose whatsoever and this is a problem like every weekend during the football season like if you get the train at the wrong time get on public transport at the wrong time you can suddenly find yourself surrounded by thousands of football fans or hundreds in quite an intimidating environment especially if you're not there for the football if you just want to go shopping and your tram is suddenly filled with boozed up Schalke fans. It's, it's it's an easy way to feel quite uncomfortable. Well, whether it's Schalke fans or anyone else, you see it with, um, you see videos posted every so often where it's like all the fans, I saw one of Newcastle and they were all like on a train, standing room only and they're singing this song and they're banging the roof and they're like making as much noise. And I know that, German football, and to a lesser extent, English football is now a little bit more welcoming to families and more welcoming to certainly German football. You see quite a diverse sort of range of people, and mm-hmm. there's a lot more women sort of engaging in ultra culture than there would be you would see women in 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 Britain. But it does seem to be predominantly blokes because I think if you get enough alcohol and and, and enough blokes together in one space, they just descend into a collective bunch of morons you know and like you see that like i'm gonna take the train to yours on friday and the same thing happened last time i went on a friday the train was quiet and then six guys came on with beers and they were just like the loudest people they're like talking to everyone and like people who don't want to talk to them making jokes about people and mm. just being quite intimidating and 
and and and I, you see that a lot where it's just like just yeah. fucking shut up like i don't care no one thinks you're cool and it, they always come on and they always sort of like it is very much mm. attention seeking and it is loudness so that people will see them being loud and they've got the beers and they're having a good time and every everything's much louder than it needs to be and you're just like yeah chill man like just because you're a group of lads doesn't mean you're the focus of everyone's attention but i think that's it's something i probably did it's something that we've probably done and i think it is part of that sort of lardy blokey football culture where it's like you make a show of yourself and it goes it just goes to extremes when you have it in situations like that and when i see england football fans cause and bother that's often what i feel like it started something small and then it'll it'll just build and build and build until they're throwing mm. bikes in canals or like throwing bottles of police because it's all about proving yourself and being a big man and all of this shite and it's just like come on and for me personally nothing ruins a good drunken time more than being like visibly antisocial like it, it sobers me up so quickly if i'm part of a group where they're just being disrespectful to everyone else around us like if you're in a pub and everyone and like you and the group singing songs or something i just i get the most intense frame shaming because i know how annoying it is and that that underlying britishness <laughs> i believe i'm gonna blame for this makes it just i hate being the loudest group in the pub it's, it's so uncomfortable for me we rarely are though i think a good fairness, we haven't been to a pub in a long time, but the only time I felt intensely embarrassed was a, a stag mm-hmm. night we went to in the Czech Republic, and like there was one person who was just, just <laughs> there was always one, and it was one person who was far too drunk for the time at which we were, were out, and he spilled a pint, and I remember getting up the ta- to the table, and the, the bar staff were just like shaking their heads and everything. And I was just like, I'm so apolog- I was apologetic and like so sorry. And I was like, guys, just finish the beers and let's go, because mm. this is just embarrassing. Because you're just making a complete arse of yourselves, and especially when you're in a different place in a foreign country. Obviously, in Germany, it doesn't feel that foreign. We've lived here long enough. But even then, I still... I remember being a one-man army when I used to watch football. I remember, was it 2012, watching England versus Sweden and making a proper <laughs> show of myself. But it wasn't It wasn't aimed at anyone. It, you know what I'm like or have been in the past when I watch football and I watch it like I'm <laughs> terminal intensity, right? And it was very much focused and I was banging the table and shouting and, and shouting at the game, not at anyone else. People actually thought that was entertaining. There's people who bought us beers because they were like, that was the greatest thing I've ever seen. Like German fans who were just like, that was amazing. You like really love your team. And it was like an admirable quality. And actually I felt a bit embarrassed afterwards because the fugue state had lifted and I could see clearly. And I was just like, oh man, I must have looked like a right arsehole. But there's, there's other moments where I think it's warranted. Like when we beat Colombia and um, we beat Colombia in the penalty shootout and it's the first penalty shoot I've ever seen England win and I almost flipped a table of drinks over because <laughs> I was so excited but it was just pure like I just jumped up and my legs caught the table and it knocked, knocked the table and a couple of beers went on the floor and I was like oh shit sorry bought everyone beers back and I apologised and I cleaned it up myself so I know how it goes but I think it can steamroll from that you can see in those moments how easily it could just steamroll you know a, a group of lads someone challenges them mm. this is not to excuse football hooliganism at all i think it just you just understand how you get there but um i think the vision of football fans racing onto the pitch towards players i don't know what the how the players must feel they must be quite calm but also at the same time like fuck yeah, it's, it's gonna be intense that vibe that, that moment where you see them coming over the hoardings you don't know that they're not going to like lamp you 
not going to punch you for no reason. Like, it's possible. Yeah, it seems like a, a very weird part of the culture. I think, yeah, let's let's get some rules going. Let's get some fixed penalty notices for people that do this. <laughs> let's preserve the lawns that are carefully curated by these ground staff, and let's not terrify the players. You've, you've really acclimatized. Yeah. You've really acclimatized. You've gone from from being sort of an easygoing British person to solid German. Let's yeah. get some more rules. <laughs> Bitter. <laughs> <laughs> One of the most popular things for British people to eat, and an icon of British cuisine, if you want to call it cuisine, I know some people don't, is of course fish and chips. It is often that you meet someone and they'll say, oh, I went to England in like 1996 and I had fish and chips and it was amazing. Everyone I think has this like golden memory yep. of the first time they had real English fish and chips. It is special. Uh, it is a different beast. Uh, from what you find elsewhere. And so it's quite sad to see that apparently, on top of the cost of living crisis in the UK, on top of the shit show that is Brexit, on top of everything being pretty bad, it seems that fish and chips is actually in peril. Yeah, existence naught uh, is the phrase used by Spiegel here. So yeah, we know they're taking it seriously when it's an existential threat. And this is not because of fishing quotas, it is in fact because of the war in Ukraine. This is a pretty serious situation for British people. This is an industry that's iconic and it, it looks pretty bad. So according to an industry association, uh, there are massive difficulties in sourcing the raw ingredients because a lot of them come uh, from Russia and the Ukraine. Uh, which I guess a lot of people might not have considered. Uh, so the National Federation of Fish Friars, uh, the NFFF, uh, which is a, a fantastic acronym, or the NFF, uh, if you're feeling like you want to try and pronounce it like a word. Was oh, it NFF? NFF. <laughs> I don't know how, you, how, how hard you hit each F on that intonation. But yeah, they've said that a lot of uh, fish bars, as we call them, might be on the brink of extinction because of this. So, of course, there are four primary ingredients uh, that you need for fish and chips. Uh, you need your fish, your potatoes, uh, and your ingredients for batter. And a lot of those are affected by the war that's going on uh, in Ukraine. Apparently, uh, fish and chip shops have obtained only half of the sunflower oil they need in a normal season from Russia or Ukraine. And I don't know if you've noticed the 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 terrifying price hikes that we've seen here in Germany for cooking oil. Is this something you've noticed personally? I mean, we don't use a lot of it. We use olive oil. We've known it's been bloody hard to get olive oil because obviously if you're not buying cooking oil, the next thing you buy is olive oil. So I noticed, I've just been, yeah, I've been an eye on the, the prices. I was just thinking when you were telling that background on the, the story, it's like four weeks, three or four weeks on the row that we've talked about sort of certain foods just in trouble. We've talked about kebab, but we've also talked about other British products that are in, in yeah. trouble too. And it does feel like this is becoming more and more an issue for a lot of people's favorite foods. And fish and chips, while not my personal favorite food, it's definitely a big uh, seller in, in, in Britain. And I'm thinking back to when I was in Newcastle and it's by the coast so fish and chip shops are, are 10 a penny and they're all mm -hmm. 
by and large very good but yeah the the sort of impact of the price of oil price of flour I mean, there's loads of different elements you're just considering that are coming from these this area that have uh, are really affecting even like cardboard boxes a problem to find and I, yeah I, I don't know what to make of it really it sort of feels like well what are you meant to do you know like do mm. they change the oil do they change the ingredients I mean, if they change the ingredients, that'll obviously put customers off, won't it, you know? Definitely significantly more expensive. I mean, for, for a long time, if you'd asked me how much is a litre of, of, of sunflower oil, I would have said about a euro fifty. And I, it does seem that today, Raver still have it for one ninety nine a litre um, for one particular brand. But when I was in Audi the other day, it was four fifty uh, for a bottle of sunflower oil, which is... Whoa really really incredibly expensive i'm also a primarily an olive oil uh guy i guess if you want to call it that <laughs> i'm uh, in the olive oil club yeah i'm an olive oil toop uh, and yeah the price again is it feels like it's doubled on certain bottles um and of course just to find it can be really really challenging at the moment and this is the issue that's being faced by fish and chip shops finding the product is is difficult and then paying the the excess price uh, to obtain it uh, is really it's an existential issue for for the nffffffffffffffffffffffffffffffffffffffffffffffffffffffffffffffffffffffffffffffffffffffffffffffffffffffffffffffffffffffffffffffffffffffffffffffffffffffffffffffffffffffffffffffffffffffffffffffffffffff
what are they supposed to do next? Mm. Like these aren't in demand transferable skills. This is literally it's dropping things into boiling oil. It's not it's not rocket science. There is not going to be a, a huge demand for for them to to quer Einstein into new industries. Mm. Um, it's really really bleak. And these are people that aren't massively wealthy with tons of savings. Like this is going to be people that will go from having employment, having businesses, to suddenly having nothing. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's really, really bleak, bleak as fuck. It's not a high-skilled job, but it's certainly a job that isn't, those skills aren't, like you said, aren't necessarily transferable. And the other thing I'm thinking as well is you've got it from both sides. Like you've got the cost of living crisis that means people don't have a lot of money in their pockets anyway to buy luxuries, which I guess fish and chips kind of is at this point, but even more so the supply side is being hammered too so you end up with a situation where like, what what are you what are you honestly meant to do what are you really meant to do in this situation are you are you meant to just shut up shop it seems like it seems like this is something the government could help with if they're inclined to do so but it would, it would be a sad sight to see some of the famous fish and chip shops around the sort of northeast closing for no fault yeah. of, of, of their own I mean, the tragedy is it'll end up just be Harry Ramsdens everywhere because they're the only ones that are too big to f- not fail. Yeah, it is. It's it's really really bad. Um, and yeah, <laughs> I don't really have any positive spin for this. No, there is really, really isn't a positive spin on this. I don't think there's like a, there's not really there's not many laughs in this news story, listener. But it's because there isn't a lot of laughs in, for this particular industry at the moment. But I guess we, we, we can only sort of hope that it. It turns around for them, but the idea of Britain sans fish and chips just seems like the wildest outcome from all of this. Yeah, load of pop-up shops selling American candy on the seafronts. That's the future. Like I said to you, man. Like every, I mean, maybe that's where they go. They move into vape shops, vape shops, and barbers. That was all <laughs> I saw opening in Britain. So maybe that's the uh, that's the switcheroo, right? Just Greg's, as far as the eye can see <laughs> on the coast. And part of me doesn't yeah. think that's necessarily a bad thing. <laughs> At the top of the show, I mentioned that Simon loves a bloody good sit-down, which was a link to quite an interesting story coming out of Germany from the former Bayern Munich and Germany captain, Philipp Lahm. He's he's recently written a book called Gesund kann jeder, which is essentially everyone can be healthy. And one of the things he's focusing on is maybe counterintuitive to a lot of people, but he, he, he talks about how sitting is a nuisance, I think is the phrase he used. Sitzen ist für ein Arsch. Um, Sitzen ist für ein Arsch. Which is a oh. lovely, lovely phrase. Um, <laughs> so so poetic. <laughs> but the, but this is this is a, a, an article, another article from Spiegel. They're getting a lot of heat there today. Uh, we know where Simon's been reading recently. <laughs> <laughs> Lord um, Bynum had nothing. <laughs> <laughs> but... Uh, the, he's declared a war on sitting and he sees it as a, an issue for mobility and health and that he's he's quoted as saying he does a lot of exercise obviously as being an ex-sportsman and that, and that everyone can be can be can be healthy and can be taking this kind of exercise and that a lot of it and this is the, the key word for for the modern times holistic health concepts a lot of things mm. that are holistic 
he's got a collection of tips and ideas for how to improve mobility. He's got some recipe and ideas in there. But he, he describes sitting quite bluntly as sitting is the new smoking, he says. Yeah. And yeah, when making calls in the home office, put headphones on your ears and walk around the house is one of his recommendations. So how do you feel there, Simon? Do you, we're both sitting down now and I am very concerned. I mean, yeah, he's the same age as us. <laughs> and he's already a retired world champion. Um, I mean, obviously, I think it's, it's a positive thing in a certain way where you have a guy who clearly wants to make the world a healthier place. And that has to be applauded, of course. But it is also a bit rich coming from a player who, no doubt about it, he was a very, very good footballer. But I think most people would agree the thing that made him so good was his determination, his drive and his focus. He wasn't the most talented ball player in that team that won the World Cup at all. But he was super focused. And we're not all like, (laughs) don't all have Philip Love's drive and focus. So I don't think he necessarily understands the mind of mind of a normal person and has no real understanding of the mind of a lazy person because he is the antithesis of a lazy person. I'm a lazy person. I love sitting down. It's one of my favorite things to do. Sitting down with a cup of tea. I make happy noises that I make nowhere else in my house. It's just relief and joy and relaxation. And those are not words that I think feature too much in his upcoming book. But I do think it's interesting to say sitting is the new smoking because anyone who moves to Germany, especially from the UK or even more obvious if you move from somewhere like Australia that has really had a war on smoking, you will notice that smoking is very much still an issue here in Germany. A lot of people smoke. Uh, and you see it in places that feel quite foreign now. I mean, we both moved here before the smoking ban took place, and people would just smoke everywhere in Germany. And now, one of the main places you'll observe it as a non-smoker is on the train station platform. And of course, you have these very carefully painted yellow boxes that I'd say 90% of the smokers stand near to but outside of as an act of small defiance. Be like, I'll smoke near the smoking area, but I'm not standing in it. I'm not a sheep. I think seems to be how they feel about this. And we've both quit cigarettes as well. Nick still vapes. I don't know how often we hear this on the record. I know I try and take Uh, the vapes out out of the edit, but every so often I'll I'll be listening to an episode back and I'm like, I can hear me going in the background. And I'm like, oh yeah, should have probably edited that one out. Um, But yeah, so I still vape. And it's more out of habit than anything. I, 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 I like the mouthfeel. That's that's what it is. He creep. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the mouthfeel of raping. Don't shame me for vaping. But yeah, shame away. Uh, my preferred flavor is bean and stick. You can't take it away from me. Take it out of my cold, dead hands. <laughs> but it's not the first time I've heard this story about sitting being incredibly bad for you. Uh, apparently, it's an evolutionary thing. I've heard that it can knock 10 years off your life. We should lie down more, put our legs up. It's to do with blood flow and thrombosis and things like that. So I know that this isn't a totally new concept. But I do, I think your point being about, I think this thing about everyone can be healthy. And it's like, you can definitely say that if you're if you're a wealthy footballer i think i think how how people can get healthy is it's kind of like when people would say i just quit smoking and you're like yeah yeah i'll just quit 
Like I'll just quit. Quitting smoking was one of the hardest things that I've ever done. And I, I, I did. I did it with vaping. I switched to vaping, and and so really, I probably haven't quit. You quit proper. You don't smoke at all, and you don't. Well, I mean, I was told by a doctor yeah. in, a, in the hospital whilst I was there, if you don't stop smoking, you're going to die. Yeah, that's a different discussion. And it, maybe that's definitely the most effective tool yeah, yeah. For, for quitting smoking. That's definitely it. Having someone in a white coat tell you you're going to die unless you stop. I'd recommend that to anyone <laughs> who wants to stop. I think that's the doctor's position mostly on smoking anyway. Yeah. Regardless of how sick you are, they'd just be like, yeah, if you keep smoking, you'll die. I mean, that's the that's one of the, the universal truths that smoking is incredibly bad for you. But it's, again, it's we've got sort of two strands of a conversation. So let's address the smoking thing that you were mentioning mm-hmm. before. You're right about the smoking. Do you get annoyed when you you're out? And I was talking earlier about being in a beer garden. Like you're out in a beer garden, and there's people smoking. Do you do you get annoyed by that? Or I don't get annoyed, but I don't like it at all. Uh, the smell of cigarettes, which was something that I always enjoyed smelling, is now it, it smells disgusting to really? me. Really? Um, yeah, I, I don't. I don't ever want to smoke. Like every now and again, when I'm really drunk, yeah, I see someone smoking. I'm like, oh, that. I used to like that. <laughs> yeah, that was a good thing. Yeah, yeah. But if I sat next to them whilst they were doing mm. it and the smell got to me, then I'd be like, oh, I don't want that at all. So, yeah, I do. There are times where it's definitely inconsiderate, bordering on rude. Uh, and then I would get annoyed by it. But if someone was smoking near me, I wouldn't be like, looking at them thinking, oh my God, what an idiot. Because I was that idiot for nearly 20 years. Uh, but I'm definitely happy that it's not the severity of of my reason for quitting was so so strong that i've not had any desire to go back mm. i think if i just decided to quit smoking because i wanted to i probably would have relapsed because that had happened before i would say like when i go to work i see a lot of people smoking on platforms a lot of young people going to school uh kids going to university on the campus everyone's smoking like this just feels like a lot of yeah. people are smoking whereas in britain it feels like it's really on the way out a lot more people vaping than smoking whereas it yeah. still feels like it's a 50 50 split where, where i am i would say though that i don't i don't hate the smell of i don't hate the smell of smoke in the air in fact i think i kind of like it i kind of like it but what i hate is when you sit next to someone who's just come back from smoking that lingering smell okay. of smoke is disgusting I find that really off-putting. And actually, every time I've tried, unless I'm like really heavily drunk and then a cigarette is like some kind of glorious thing, but usually it's a roly more than a cigarette. But I, often when I smoke a cigarette or I've tried a cigarette, it doesn't taste as good. It, you think it's going to taste of all the things you remember and then you try and you're like, oh God, it's disgusting. It's horrible. Mm. And so I definitely don't want to smoke not having a wheezing or snoring or all the things that came with smoke and i'm glad but it is a surprise to find that every street has a smoking machine that you can buy cigarettes on a lot of places are still quite happy for you to like train stations the airport got the airport if you got the airport in britain there is very few options for smokers uh, or smoking areas including vaping whereas if I go to Munich Airport, they've got a little camel smoking cab- cabin thing. Mm-hmm. Um, some companies, even big companies as well, big national companies, have these like smoking, smoking like shelter things, indoor shelters that have fans. So you smoke and the smoke mm-hmm. goes into the fan. So smoking's kind of still 
acceptable. It doesn't have the stigma I think it has in Britain. And obviously you don't have the horrendous packaging that you have in, in Britain so yeah. much. Um, but yeah, and it's still relatively cheap in, in comparison. It is. Of course, this is why I mentioned Australia earlier on. I mean, we see apparently, uh, according to macrotrends.net, in uh, 2018, 28% of Germans smoked. I'm not sure what if that's like a cigarette uh, or if that's a 20 a day. That's statistics nuts. Like, yeah, I guess smoke, it doesn't say how many people are, how many they're smoking, but yeah, I mean, it's still quite a lot of people smoking. Uh, that, it doesn't have that, that aura of cool about it anymore. No, I don't think so. It, it, in a way, it's like, when I see it, it's like, I, I, it makes me think the person can't handle stress. It's like a coping mechanism as opposed to trying to be cool. But yeah, I think that's probably just the way that I've separated myself from it to to avoid any desire to, to smoke anymore. Well, well, that's actually a good link to what I was going to talk about with regards to sort of keeping yourself fit and, and talking about what, what Lam said about fitness. Because I think it is it is a real mindset shift. And we talked a few weeks ago about my challenges with eating. And since then, I've been, I've been really good. I've been really careful. But it is, it had, I had to shift my mind into a place where I'm like, I'm training now. Mm-hmm. Like I'm not, I'm not eating as much. I'm reducing my calorie intake. And he talks about how everyone can be fit. And I think everyone, I, I do f- believe that everyone can be fit, but to get, to get to where you want takes a lot of effort. And I've got a lot of friends who will do a lot of fatty diets or they'll do uh, a diet for a short period of time and then maybe put the weight back on. You've got it. Like I've found the only way that works for me, and I can only talk about myself. Like this is this is my regime every day, right? And you tell me if it's nuts. So I bought the running machine. Mm-hmm. I bought a running machine because I can't I can't run on concrete because of my knees. I feel like I'm a bit like Rocky in the in, in Rocky Balboa, where he's like he's like your knees are shot, so so running on concrete is out. And I'm like, yeah, okay. So I run on an incline, and I do that. I do that probably three or four times a week. 20 25 minutes on the running machine probably about three kilometers three and a half kilometers i'll probably get to in about 25 minutes but that took a build-up took a build-up of doing that but religiously every morning is is what i call 40 by 40 i'm not sure if it really works out that so it's two two sets of two different sets of 40 setups 40 press-ups then two sets of different different setups then 40 press-ups and I do that f- four times okay so i do four cycles of that and i do that it takes about 15 minutes but i have like i have to be in the mindset whereas if i don't do it i'm kicking my ass for the rest of the day for mm-hmm. not doing it because it's the only way i'll motivate myself to do it and it's i hate it every every morning i hate it <laughs> and i could just go no but the way my mind works which connects to how i eat it's all and we talked about having shame and guilt Mm. that's the way I've like that's how I lost all the weight in the beginning was feeling guilty for being that size and it's never really shifted and and now it's rather a positive thing because it's me putting a check on me it's mm-hmm. like you want you want to lose weight this is how you know to lose weight yeah so do that but it, it's also about when I lost a lot of weight originally I did it to an extreme where I I was probably eating 5,000 6,000 calories a day and I dropped 2,000 calories Mm-hmm. which is an extreme drop and to do that like is insane like don't don't do that you've got to be you've got to stagger it and reduce your calorie intake and you've got to let your body adjust because what i went into was a lot of shock i lost a lot of weight four stone in four months yeah, that's like, really a lot but just dropped off 
it's a lot but it left a lot of issues right but i think it's it's this idea that it's like i think th- some things are good like um we talked uh to sandra about a park run that she does mm-hmm. i think that's a really good thing uh couch to 5k that's a really good way of doing it like here's your target you want to run 5k and get off the couch and do it that's fine so it does obviously you have to think about about how you do it also doing things like taking the stairs and not escalators and lifts mm-hmm. can be useful i do i, I walk to work now um uh, for, for for part of it i think that also plays a part and it's surprising as well how many people don't consider just the walking is good yeah low impact exercise is good and i, I think when you see stuff like this by, by lamb and he's talking about how i do a lot of things on foot or by bike and you're like yeah i see a lot of people cycling but you've got to marry that to your calorie intake if yeah. you're cycling everywhere and then eating like massive amounts of calories it's an issue but ultimately i don't know i just feel like i do feel it it's good that he's he wants people to be fit, but there is a lot of preachiness, and there's nothing worse than having a really fit, preachy person yeah. telling you you should get fit. Like, no one wants to hear that. And, of course, the, the concept of being healthy is relative to the individual and your starting points. I mean, obviously, you're, you've been mm-hmm. really candid about your, your struggle with weight, and like, I've, I've, I'm the heaviest I've been, and the, I'm the fattest I've ever been, uh, as I am right now. But for me, the idea of, like, being healthy is now different than it was 10 years ago because now I'm dealing with like two underlying health conditions with my kidneys and, and with, mm-hmm. with my heart. And yeah, so exactly. for me, I'm never going to be healthy in the way that Philip Lahm is because I have issues that stand in the way of that. Exactly. How, how, how do you do like 5K? You're not going to be able to do that. Like you, your body, your, your doctor would probably tell you, fucking don't you bloody dare. You know? <laughs> like, don't you dare. Like, well, I mean, I, I, stop I, I could. <laughs> like, there is, but I'm always going to have like my, my measured values. If they do blood work on me, I'm always going to c- come out with with poor results because I, my body doesn't function that way any, anymore. But yeah, I mean, obviously you talked about calorie intakes and for me, portion control is definitely the thing I need to work on. Yeah. And Philip talks about this and there are examples here. So Ollie Kahn, uh, of course, the <clears throat> one of the leaders of Bayern today and of course the number one goalkeeper during his period, he gained 10 kilos once he retired because he continued to eat like a professional footballer um, mm-hmm. And of course, you can't do that if you're not doing the exercise. And of course, we've had a really interesting example with Samir Nasri, uh, who uh, is a French footballer who did very well at Arsenal and then at Manchester City. And he mm-hmm. retired. And I think four months later, he played in like a testimonial match. And no one had seen him in that period. And he came like the Michelin man. He had put on so much weight. It was absolutely insane how quickly he'd done this. But it was obvious that he'd been like working so hard all his life as a professional footballer mm. to like to not eat all the things he wanted to. When he was allowed to just like eat and it didn't matter, he did that. And he mm. he binged. It was clear that he'd eaten really, really unhealthily over that short period. And yeah, fingers crossed he, he gets his himself in check because it didn't look healthy at all. I mean, people like The Rock and Arnold Schwarzenegger to a certain extent they're very motivational but you see someone you see someone like The Rock but you don't necessarily he's actually done quite a lot to sort of point out how much work he does to get to look the way he does Mm. which is essentially works out for like eight hours a day Mark Wahlberg's the same gets up at 3am 
to start plays golf gym. and all that yeah. madness, right? Yeah. yeah. But so, like to do that, and we talked about um, Rob McAnally mm-hmm. um, from that uh, we talked about on the podcast a few weeks ago is the example of saying like it's totally reasonable to be like this if you've got a personal trainer and there's a <laughs> studio paying for it and you run this much. It's, I think a lot of the time it is the simple things you can do that um, can really can really have a, a, a good a good a good impact on you. So like you do a lot of walking portion control thinking about think i think counting calories is horrendous what I, i've stopped doing and i can highly recommend it to all of you is just i just don't weigh myself anymore i mm. haven't weighed myself in, in 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 months because i just don't think it's beneficial because all it takes is one off day um you don't actually know what's contributing to your weight i've started drinking so much water so i'm carrying a lot of water on me mm. so i don't I like and there are lots of little things like that that I think I think you don't need to be punishing yourself, but if you if you decide oh, I want to make a, a little bit of a change, just think about you don't have to do anything extreme. And I think this is the good advice that Lam says is you don't have to set yourself the goal of losing twenty kilos or running a marathon. Mm. These aren't necessarily great goals. You can set smaller goals. Like one of my one literally one of my goals when I first started losing weight was I don't want to sweat while I'm eating. <laughs> that's, <laughs> like, that's, and that's, a good, I, that's a good baseline. I'm already. Yeah. I'm already sweaty. I'm a sweaty guy. Um, if you meet me in the summer, you'll see me melting, right? So I'm already, regardless of what weight I'm carrying, I sweat anyway. But the the like like that was something I was like, I don't want to. I don't want that. I had I was like I said, big guy, so my legs were chafing when I walked, and I wanted to not that not to happen. Um, I'd get chafing under my arms because because my skin would be rubbing together because I was mm-hmm. so big. I wanted that to to stop. So like, it, and then it was just building on that. So that I got did those things, and I was like, right, well, what's the next goal? And I'm like, I like to be able to take the stairs two at a time, you know. All right, well, how do I do that? And then like little things that have just made my life a little bit easier. Mm. But I don't think it has to be anything extreme. But I do think you have to do it healthily, and you have to do it without sort of beating yourself up for it i I think the main thing i'd suggest in the situation with philip lam is that the title just gets changed instead of gazun candida maybe we could say everyone could be healthier uh instead of instead of being everyone could be healthy i i think that just it takes away the sort of the preachiness of it because yeah i think we all want to be healthier everyone wants that especially after the last couple of years where snacking has become a coping mechanism for a lot of us where it wasn't necessarily before yeah um exactly and yeah mobility has changed like i did ten thousand yeah. steps every single day until corona and now mm-hmm. i do sometimes in the hundreds and that's not okay it's it's not i think walking is definitely a, a fantastic place mm-hmm. to start to get healthier and maybe not healthy yeah man keep keep um keep at it that's all you can do it's just about consistency rather than anything else and certainly don't be uh don't read men's health. Don't weigh yourself. Certainly don't judge yourself by other people's standards, even if they are World Cup winners. Yeah. <laughs> maybe especially when they're World Cup winners. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's maybe right. Yeah, that's maybe right. Service, Leuter. Grüß Gott. That brings us to the end of the show. We're off to save our local chippy and give Philip Lamb a piece of our mind. But before we do, we'd like to thank you, listener, for uh, coming to this point in the podcast. I'm not sure how many people are left, but uh, yeah, thank you for, for listening. If you're enjoying the podcast, why not give us a rating on iTunes? 
only takes a minute and it can really really help us there's also star ratings now on spotify so chuck some stars to us there one other place that would be really really good to have some feedback on uh, is with good pods uh, we've recently been emailed by the good people of good pods uh, to let us know that we your beloved decades from home has actually made it into a top 100 chart how mad is that wow yeah. look at us go yeah absolutely insane didn't see that coming so we are number 81 in the top 100 indie society and culture charts this sound very official right yeah big up yourselves uh for contributing to that it is a real milestone like we've been contacted by a podcast provider saying add a boy add a boys we- uh, and so. it's to- it's totally on the listeners it's it's we've done nothing on that it's from listener mm. star ratings and reviews and you really it's it's all thanks to you and 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 without you we would just be two blokes in a podcast cave shouting at each other yeah. about fish and chips so yeah it, it's, it's really it is yeah without getting too soppy it's all about you guys i it really we wouldn't do it otherwise so yeah with that in mind Carry on retweeting us if you can. Share a link or post with the hashtag decades from home or lowercase on Twitter or on Instagram. And um, you can also support the podcast by going to ko-fi.com forward slash decades from home, where you can contribute to keep us stocked with tea and beer and all sorts of loveliness. Maybe some spargle as that's the season. Well, I prefer you didn't send us any money for spargle. But anyway, if you're going to send us money for spargle, why don't you choose instead to send that money to someone who's more, uh, or to, to people who are probably more deserving than than us? And um, we're keeping the links to the various charities supporting those refugees fleeing the ukraine or who've left the ukraine who are currently in various different parts of europe and also to support those people who are still in ukraine fighting uh, the russian invasion so please uh, consider donating to one of those charities and you can find those links in the show notes as ever if you do have any questions any feedback or maybe an article or topic you'd like us to cover you can tweet me simon on at decades from home and you can get nick on Twitter at at 40% German. You can also reach us via email at 40% German at gmail.com. And if you do have time, why not take a look at 40% German.com, where there are weekly articles every Saturday. All that's left to say is, vielen herzlichen Dank und bis zum nächsten Mal. Tschüss. Adi. Harry Kane trips the light fantastic. What nil spurs?